The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I will be discussing a first principle of investing. And we'll be discussing the mental model of zero-sum games and how buying stocks is not a zero-sum game. In fact, I would call buying stocks a positive-sum game. If you don't know those terms, don't worry, we're going to get into them in a moment and help you understand what I'm talking about. Before I get started, I want to make a short request. If you gain value from today's content, please consider becoming a patron of the podcast. I produce this show as free educational material without advertising because I believe your time is valuable and advertising distracts from that. Producing this show takes both time and money and your financial support helps me to continue producing great content for you. You can learn more at DIYinvesting.org slash patron. Patrons receive exclusive access to my private investment research, including a list of the stocks I own and the valuation work that I perform. Thank you for your support. So let's dive right on into the show outline. So I'm going to begin this show talking about the mental model zero-sum games. After I discuss that, I'll describe why I believe that buying stocks is not a zero-sum game. We'll follow that up with discussing some individual points regarding individual stock picking. And then I'll talk about positive sum games and why this is so important for your portfolio. So let's begin with zero sum games. This is a mental model that comes from game theory. If you're not aware from game theory, game theory basically involves the idea of looking at different situations in the form of a game and trying to understand how participants of the game will respond under different conditions. And one of the types of games used in game theory is zero-sum games. It's really easy to sum up what this means. A zero-sum game is a game in which any gains by one participant must be offset with losses by other participants. So let's say you have four players. If player one were to earn $100 in the game, that means that in order for them to do that, the other three players combined have to lose $100. So that the combination of players one, player one's positive $100 is offset 
by negative $100 across player two, three, and four. And that could be player two loses 50, player three loses 50, and player four doesn't lose anything. And then you basically sum to zero. And what that means is that really it's a game in which the sum total of all value for all of your participants equals zero. Simply all you're doing is you're adding up the different change in state for each person. So why is that important? It's important because a lot of times stocks are called investing or investing in stocks or bonds is often called a zero-sum game by news media, CNBC, different sources like that. And it's important to understand that stocks is not a zero-sum game because if you were to believe that a stock purchase is a zero-sum game, it's going to cause you to behave differently. And what I want you to do is to understand the proper way that things work so that you'll behave in a way that will help you to build wealth. And simply put, if you believe that stock investing is a zero-sum game, you're less likely to become wealthy over time. So why is it that buying stocks is not a zero-sum game? And I think the key point here is that stocks as a whole provide a positive expected value. So when we were talking about a zero-sum game just a minute ago, I talked about how if you're sitting at the table, you have four people playing, the expected value of the game is zero. It means that for each participant, their expected nature going into the game is that they're going to go out of the game with nothing. That's not to say that everyone will. Some are going to come out better than they were before, and some are going to lose money. But as a whole, the expected value is zero. And it means that on average, no one that plays that game is going to make money. Well, stocks are different. On average, the average stockholder, now it depends upon what country you're in in the history, but historically in the United States at least, and many countries around the world, buying and owning stocks, equity and ownership in companies, that's what stocks are, provides a positive expected value. That means that the average stockholder across the economy makes money over time. So that means that in general, ownership in companies, ownership in the means of production has resulted in increases in wealth over time. And that's not saying that some people are making money while some people are losing money, or some people are making money and the only way they can do that is by taking money from other people. No, what we're saying is that over time, ownership of companies increases the wealth of the world, increases the value in the sum total of the game. So this is a key point because what you're looking at is when you buy a stock, you know, let's narrow our focus um, to talk about certain types of companies. So here we're talking about companies that are established, companies that uh, make a profit, companies that have ongoing business operations, they have stores, they're selling products, they're selling services, they're making a profit, and you can actually value them. What I'm trying to exclude are basically speculations. The newest IPO, the newest um, company hit that you're getting a tip on, it might not make money. You know, something like Uber, where the Uber doesn't make a profit, they've never made a profit, and there's a chance that they will never make a profit. 
Well, you're expo- you're not you shouldn't have a positive expected value for owning stock in Uber because the company doesn't make a profit and the value comes from your share of profits. So, I'm trying to limit the scope of this discussion to stocks that make profits, which historically was the type of companies that would be included in an index fund. It would be the companies that make profits, have made profits for decades and are continuing to grow those profits over time. So I think this is a fair exclusion to make. I think it's a reasonable um, restriction on our discussion because that is the historic manner in which people have evaluated companies. They look, are these companies making a profit? Are they doing well? Because when you're buying ownership in a company, you're buying ownership of the profits. And so if you're talking about buying and trading ownership in something that doesn't make a profit, that's not really what I discuss here on this podcast. It's not really what I'm discussing when I talk about investing. Instead, I consider that speculation. And so we're trying to separate speculation from investment here. Now, but when we do that, if we're talking just about investments, just about companies that you can value, that make profits, are growing those profits, even if those profits are declining, but you have companies that make profits, then those companies as a whole, across the whole, represent a positive expected value. You would expect to make a profit over time. You expect for the value for participating in the stock market game, I'm using quotes, you know, those like air quotes on stock market game, you know, to kind of symbolize what we're discussing here. But participating in the stock market game, when you talk about profitable blue chip type companies is positive. So it really means that you don't have to take from others in order to receive. So like when companies create value, this is new value. The economy grows, everyone's becoming wealthier. And that value can range from new products, um, innovations, efficiencies, ways that they're trying to sell something, a new service, things that make lives better. That's what companies are around for. Companies spend time, they spend money, they invest in capital, they make investments in order to improve the lives of people. Because by doing so, they can encourage them to make a purchase and to exchange some of their money for the product or service that the company is selling. That's how capitalism works. And it is why ownership in companies is a positive expected value. But usually when we're picking individual stocks or we're talking about let's say stock picking or investing in the stock market. Um, It's described as a zero-sum game. I've heard this on many occasions from mainstream media. Even when talking to other investors, they'll mention that stock investing can be a zero-sum game. But this is usually in reference to either an index or an index fund. And the logic goes very simply. So the thought is that if you have an index, you know, let's say the S&P 500, the thought is that half of money or half of you know investment managers must underperform an index um, and half of money can potentially outperform an index. But the thought is, is that as an average, you can't outperform the index because the index represents the universe of available stocks. And so it's thought and argued that buying stocks is therefore a zero sum. But this has a really key fallacy. And I want to point out this fallacy because if you think that buying individual stocks is a zero-sum game, then again, you're going to 
potentially make a decision than you otherwise would, and it could lead you to having a different life outcome. So I want to really break through this fallacy and help you understand. So indexes have historically had a positive expected value. The common number that I like to throw out um, based on a lot of research is particularly Jeremy Siegel's research in Stocks for the Long Run. It's a book that I can link to in the show notes. Um, is that the index specifically in the United States has returned about 10% per year on average historically. Um, And that's a compound average. That's not necessarily an arithmetic average, but that's besides the point. But what that means is that if half of money receives 8% and the other half received 12% returns, those might average to 10%, but both parties are successful in growing their wealth. Unlike the zero-sum game, one party doesn't have to lose 10% so that the index can grow 10%. Just because the index has gained 10% a year does not mean that individual stock investors are losing 10% a year. That's just not how this works. Instead, you need to really think about it, the fact that you aren't having to, as as an individual stock investor, as a DIY investor, you don't have to have other people lose in order for you to win. The stock market is not a competition. It's a trading mechanism that allows you to purchase ownership shares in companies that provide value to the world. That's it. It's not a scorekeeping system. It's not a comparative methodology. These indexes can cause you to think in ways that aren't accurate. And so even though There is some truth to the statement that across the entire investing universe, investment managers have to match the index because you have passive investors and active investors. And simply by limiting this investment universe to all of available stocks, in order for the index to match the average, the non-index also has to match the average. Okay, fine. That can make intuitive sense. It makes... Um, logical sense in terms of the accounting identity, but it's not telling you any new information because what it's missing is the fact that just because all non-passive investors have to, as a whole, match the index's return before fees, it does not mean that individual investors are taking money away from index investors or index investors are taking money away from individual investors. Instead, it simply means that both investors' total possible returns are tied together. The problem is, is that when you think about it in this way, it's only talking about relative investments. It's not talking about, you know, it's relative performance. So it's just saying, oh, well, maybe the index might get 8% this year, but I'll get 9%. Or the index might get 8% this year and I'll get 6%. Or, you know, it's not saying that the index has to get, you know, if the index is getting 8%, then I can't beat the index. I'm going to get negative 8%. No, it's just you're allowed to make money regardless of what everyone else is doing. You're allowed to make money from investing in stocks. No matter what the index is doing, the index could go down and you can make money. The index can go up and you can make money. The idea is when you're investing in your individual stocks, whatever happens outside those stocks, whatever happens outside those businesses, 
doesn't matter to your investment performance. And that's simply because it's not a zero-sum game. Instead, I describe it as a positive-sum game. Now, this is a bit of a stretch from the original game theory version. I'm not sure they really talk about things in terms of positive and negative-sum games. It's just more this concept of a zero-sum game. But how I describe a positive-sum game is that when you total up the value received by all participants, the value is greater than zero. So again, the zero-sum game, the value had to equal zero, and so basically you had winners and losers. In a positive-sum game, you don't have winners and losers. You just have participants that all have the ability to take a piece of a growing economic pie. It's There's value that's there, and you don't have to take from someone else in order for you to get some. And this is really an idea of thinking in terms not of scarcity, Um, but of an abundance. And that's what I really want you to get to. If you're going to be a successful stock investor, you need to have the mindset of abundance. You need to have the mindset, not of scarcity, that there's only so many shares out there. There's only so many deals. There's only so many value stocks, but instead that there are companies out in the world that you have the opportunity to invest in, the opportunity to make money with, and that those are available opportunities for you. And that You don't need to hoard the information when you find it. You don't need to limit others, backstab others in order to make money. But by investing in stocks, you can make money without harming other people. You can make money by making the world a better place. You can make money by providing value to society. And that's what makes stock investing so exciting is that you can sit there, you can provide value to society by providing your capital to companies, and they can use that capital to make money. They can use that capital to create services, to make products, to improve the world's standard of living. And by doing so, you can receive a profit and you can receive an investment return on your money. So that's what's so exciting. Because it's a positive sum game, you're able to be successful without worrying about the success of others. What I want this to do is it's, it's, it's really about the emotion. It's about the psychology of investing. And a lot of investing really is psychological investing. It's all behavioral. And it's really key because if you really grasp that buying stocks is a positive sum game, it can free you from the need for comparison, jealousy, or envy. No longer do you need to have the fear of missing out just because someone else made money. Because If someone else is making money, it doesn't mean that you are losing money. You can achieve your goals no matter what is happening in the stock market, no matter what is happening in the index funds. You can achieve your goals by buying individual stocks, by doing your fundamental analysis, doing your due diligence, learning about companies that are providing value to society, and becoming an investor in those companies. And a key takeaway here is that you can ignore index funds and just focus on your own personal goals. So let's say index funds are provided, have historically earned 10% a year. That doesn't mean that index funds are going to earn 10% a year in the future. It's no assurance or guarantee that index funds will earn 10% in the in the future. In fact, there's a lot of times where index funds will underperform 10%. There's a chance that they could outperform 10%. 
But that's not related to your personal goals. What you need to do is you need to look at your personal goals. What percent return do you need to meet your goals? If you need 6% returns to meet your goals, then an index fund could be an option for you to achieve that, or 6% might not be, or an index fund might be enough might not be enough to get you 6% returns, depending upon the price of that index. You know, I think it's quite possible that the way stocks are currently priced in the market here in 2019, June 2019, that index funds over the next 10 years are going to underperform a 6% return. So if you need 6% returns, it's quite possible that the only way for you to achieve that is to buy individual stocks, or maybe not even stocks. Maybe it's real estate. Maybe it's investing in a startup company that you work on with your roommate. Maybe it's you know, going out and selling hot dogs in a hot dog stand or starting up a food truck. The stock market is simply a tool. It's a tool that allows you to achieve your goals. And the key thing about this positive sum game is it means you do not want to or need to compare yourself to the returns of the index because those returns may or may not allow you to achieve your goals. If they do allow you to achieve your goals and that's where you want to do, then great. Index funds could be a perfect tool to allow you to achieve your goals. But you need to understand that those returns are neither guaranteed nor something that you will be able to understand to the same level of potentially investing in a different manner. And so I talk primarily about individual stocks. And that's why I want you to, to this idea to free you that by when I look at an individual stock, I'm trying to achieve at least 10% returns on any stock that I buy. I talked about that in my discount rate podcast episodes. Go back and check that out if you'd like. But I'm trying to earn at least 10% returns from each stock that I buy. And hopefully as a portfolio, my stocks earn at least 10% as a portfolio over the course of time per year. And that's the number that I believe will help me achieve my personal goals in my life. What that means is that if the index fund is returning 15% a year, that's great. Good for the people that are investing in that. Their returns don't affect me. As long as I can achieve my returns at 10%, then I can be successful and I can do it in my own way. And I don't have to worry about if the index fund is returning 5%, 15%, 20%, or negative 10%. And so that's what I'm trying to, to give you as a takeaway. If you really take this investing first principle that buying stocks is not a zero-sum game, you can then ignore index funds. You can ignore what's going on in the wider world and focus on your own personal goals. The second takeaway there is you can also ignore macroeconomic trends. One of the big things that I'm seeing a lot in the marketplace right now is what's going on with interest rates. Is the Fed going to cut interest rates? Is the Fed going to raise interest rates? What about the trade war? What's going on in the trade war? Is there going to be more tariffs placed on? What about recession risk? Is there is there a recession around the corner? Are we in recession now? Is recession coming in the next 12 months? All of these are macroeconomic ideas. And what they're doing is they're distracting you from the business and from the effort needed to actually be successful as an investor. Because if you can fully understand that buying stocks is not a zero-sum game, You'll understand that all you need to focus on is the companies that you own. If the companies that you own are performing better, increasing the size of their moats, if they're increasing their profits, increasing their sales, that's all that matters. If your companies 
are continuing to improve and continuing to perform as you expect, that's all that matters. Because as long as your fundamental analysis of a company is correct, the broader economic picture is irrelevant. It's quite possible that a recession could affect your companies very badly. And you should plan for that advance before you buy them and not necessarily based upon whether some expert on the internet is predicting whether there's going to be a recession. You certainly shouldn't listen to me and think that I can predict a recession. For all I know, we could be in recession now. For all I know, we might not be in a recession for another 30 years. There's no way that I know of how to predict these outcomes. But what I do know is that by doing good fundamental analysis of a company, you can start to understand the likely probabilities of that company's performance. Whether that company is a cyclical company, you might learn if a company is counter-cyclical or anti-fragile. These are concepts you should capture and you should focus simply on the companies that you analyze and not worry about anything else that's going out in the broader economic trends because they may or may not affect you or they're likely not to affect you if you've done your analysis well, because you should take those possibilities into account before you make your first investment. So now, I mean, I've talked a lot about, you know, these key takeaways, but why is this really true? Why is it that stocks are a positive sum game instead of a zero sum game? And I think the real key here is that when you have a company you know, let's say that company is Coca-Cola. If you have a company like Coca-Cola, the, that company employs tens of thousands of employees who wake up in the morning and go to work each and every day trying to find a way to make your profits grow. They're trying to make the Coca-Cola product better. They're trying to make the Coca-Cola product cheaper. They're trying to make it more efficient in their distribution around the world. They're trying to improve the marketing of that product so that they can sell the product to more people. And by going to work each and every day, you have tens of thousands and potentially across all of your companies that you own, you have millions of people working each and every day to make you more money. And this is why Buying stocks is not a zero-sum game because you are employing people that spend their time, spend their hard effort, and try and problem-solve to make the world a better place and to grow your profits. And what this does is sometimes this involves taking market share from other companies, but not always. Instead, usually the greatest gains come not from competition between companies, but from innovation, improved efficiencies, cutting costs, new markets, and new products. Coca-Cola today provides 3% of the world's liquid consumption. That's insane, but it's not just from the product Coca-Cola. They also sell bottled water. They sell sports drinks. They sell diet drinks. They sell hundreds of different products, I believe, at least dozens, into all sorts of markets all across the world. And that's only come about because day after day, year after year, decade after decade, the employees of Coca-Cola have worked tirelessly to provide the world with a better product, to increase the number of markets they sell in, to increase the number of products they sell. And at the end of the day, by making the world a better place, they also make the shareholders of Coca-Cola more money. They make you as an equity holder more profitable and more wealth. And what this does is 
This raises the standard of living for everyone in the world and the overall economic pie for the, for the economy. And that's really the key. When you, when you look about, you know, there's a lot of talk about inequality in the world and who's getting what share of the pie. And that's a zero-sum game thinking. It's a thinking of scarcity that if you get more, someone else gets less. But the truth is, with buying stocks, with owning companies that are continuously, each and every day, providing value to the world, it's not a zero-sum game. It's a positive-sum game. Your goal as an owner of a company, your goal as the owner of a company is to make the world a better place, to grow the economic pie for the economy overall, which means that you can make money without taking anything else from other people. Instead, the money that you receive is new money put into the economy by the added value that has been created from the companies that you own. And I think that's a great place to stop because I think it really captures the idea that there is abundance in wealth in the world and that all we have to do is continue to invest, continue to support growing economic growth in the world and that you can do so from buying stocks. So if you really understand the first principle that buying stocks is not a zero-sum game, it can change your thinking, it can change your ability to gain wealth in the world, and I think it will make you much wealthier in the long run if you put that at the center of your thinking. So that'll about sum it up. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 31. And just please remember this is a listener-supported podcast. If you gain value from today's content, please consider becoming a patron at diyinvesting.org slash patron. Also, if you haven't already, please leave a rating or review on your podcast player. I'd really appreciate a five-star review. Uh, rating. And if not, please also give your feedback anyway, so that can help me to make the podcast even better. But most importantly, your ratings and reviews help me to grow the audience in the podcast. And I would really appreciate your support in that manner. So thank you for listening. And until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.